Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. Well, good morning again, everybody. <clears throat> Welcome to Zumba for Beginners. Hope everybody stretched. No injuries today. You guys are back for more. Wow, gluttons for punishment. All right, so I'm going to tell you, this is X's and O's, creating a culture of love in your family, which as it turns out, I have a lot less material for. <laughs> so this is going to be an interactive session. Let's begin in prayer. One of the great perspectives I've ever heard on prayer is not so much telling God what you want or need, but asking the Holy Spirit to prompt you to ask for what God wants to give you. So let's try to uh, put ourselves in, in that space this morning. So not to focus in on what it is that we feel like we need or we want, but to really put our hearts out there for God to say, what is it? that you have for me this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this beautiful morning that this family is able to spend together in your name. We open our hearts to your presence and ask that you fill us with your love so that we, we can um, foster a culture of love in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace and that all who encounter us can see you. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So creating a culture of love in our families. Has anybody done that yet? <laughs> Working on it? It's always going to be a work in progress. Um, when Mary and I got married we had to do this thing called the focus inventory. Anybody remember doing that if you're married in the church? Yeah, the bubble sheets. Yeah, they, they hit you with a million questions, right? And then they tell you, they have the audacity to tell you, this is not a compatibility test. This is not pass-fail. If you do well on this test, then you can get married. If not, um, you're out of luck. It's so that way we can identify things that you guys might need to talk about before you get married. Finances, right? openness to children, expectations for the relationship. And the one that I found most interesting was family of origin. Family of origin. So what is it that you were brought up in? What, what, there's 31 flavors, what flavor of crazy is your family, right? Because guess what? Everybody's family's crazy. Every, every, everybody's got crazy family members, and if you're racking your brain trying to think of who your crazy family member is, and you can't come up with it, <laughs> statistics say, it you. Right? You know, we're all, we're all in the same boat when it comes to 
family weirdness, but everybody, every family is sort of weird in a different way. And every family has a different love language that they speak. So when a husband and wife come together, sometimes there's a culture clash, right? Um, but yet we forge ahead in trying to define what is a culture in our family. And God has put us together. And so it's up to us to determine what are the, what are the, um, the rituals that we'll put in place. Everybody hear that? Yeah. Okay, it's not just me? Good. Um, So there are going to be some seasons for the things that I'm talking about. Um, We're not all going to be doing the same things at the same time. That's okay. Nobody knows the landscape of your family like you. But just... To, to circle back around to the keynote, be rooted in Christ. Because there are a lot of different right ways to do these things, right? So I'm going to make some suggestions. I'm going to talk to you guys to see what you guys do because I'm mostly here for myself. I'm looking for some new tools in my toolbox too because my kids are four years old. It's not like I have a ton of experience in, in this arena, right? So we're going we're gonna to sharpen each other this morning. So Some of the things you're like, that will never work in my family. Okay, but maybe something else will resonate with what you you hear this morning. Something else. None of us can be perfect parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles. None of us can be perfect kids. But even if we were, things would still go wrong in our families, all right? For those of us who are parents, yeah, we need to strive to be the absolute best that we can be for our children, but there are things that are ultimately outside of our influence. And we can spend a lifetime second-guessing and feeling guilty over those things. Nod your head at me if you ever felt the parental guilt. Okay. So we can spend a lifetime, like I said, beating ourselves up. But the attitude that we adopt towards even our mistakes really sets the table for that kid's family of origin story, right? They've got a parent who can't seem to forgive themselves. They've got a parent who shuts down because they feel inadequate. So even though none of us can be perfect, and even if we were, things would still go wrong, um, there's no sense in feeling ongoing guilt about those things. So there may be addiction, or broken relationships, or illness, or financial hardship in your family, and you might be tired but I really want to encourage you and lift you up. And just know that Jesus Christ, the living word of God, speaks reality into being. I said it again this morning. If Jesus says something, it is truth. And Jesus says that blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
for you will be satisfied. Maybe not in this life. <laughs> Maybe in the next. Right? Every great religious tradition has to wrestle with the problem of suffering. So for some of the Eastern religions, it's, well, you get to do life over again. Better luck next time. Do gooder, okay? But for us, we know that ultimately being rooted in Jesus Christ for the long haul pays off. Because yeah. eternity's a long time. I don't know if you noticed. Right. So, and I don't care what anybody says. It's never too late to enter the monastery or convent. <laughs> it's pretty dang attractive sometimes, isn't it? At 2.46 a.m. When your child is screaming because their stuffed animal fell out of the bed. Not that that happened last night. <laughs> slash this morning. So in creating a culture of love for our families, the first thing I want to do is uh, set the table for, for what we're looking at in terms of our culture now and evangelization. So... Who here is a survivor of a Catholic school education? Yeah. Ooh, I can see the scars. Very good. <laughs> and you do, you do sort of mention it that way, right? Like, oh, I survived eight years of sister, <laughs> right? Whatever it is. Back in the day, the traditional model for evangelization went a little something like this. You do what I say. And then you belong to the group. If you don't do what I say, you are outside. Okay? But if you do what I say, then you belong. And then it's supposed to, through repetition or uh, um, sarcasm or something, sink in and then you actually believe. Right? So it's behave, belong, believe. Right? Or some version of that. In a postmodern society, these things do not work. Anybody try to bust out the because I said so? Yeah. Uh-huh. With a millennial in your workplace? <laughs> Listen, Junior, I know you just graduated, and you think you should be the CEO in a year, but just do what I say. Pay your, pay your dues. I don't know if you have noticed or not, but this is not an effective management style any longer. Okay? Because I said so, doesn't work in the workplace. It doesn't, certainly doesn't work in the church. And it doesn't work in our homes either. Okay? So we begin in a postmodern skeptical society to build a culture from a place of belonging. So belonging comes first. Belonging comes first. So people have to feel like they are at home. So my mom and dad were really, really good at a sense of belonging. They valued, or at least they made the appearance of valuing all of us kids' opinions on things. They took us car shopping. Right? I said, does this car work for you? That's crazy, by the way, just so you know. But they made it feel like, it, they never said something like, I pay the bills around here, this is, and as long as you're under my roof, you follow my rules. My parents were always very clear that this is our home. 
This is as much your home as it is mine, regardless of who pays the bills, right? That's a dynamic shift. So number one, and it's true in a parish family, as it is in our own homes, sense of belonging always comes first. Then people will listen to what it is that you have to say, right? In, in schools, a lot of times they call this earning the right to be heard. Anybody celebrate when it was substitute teacher day? Right? You mentally clicked off and didn't listen to anything they had to say? Because right? in, 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 at least in our minds, they hadn't earned the right to be heard. When somebody knows that you care about them, when they feel like you have made a home for them, that they belong, that they are where they're supposed to be, then they will listen to what you have to say. This is what we call belief. When somebody truly believes something, then they will change what they choose to do. Behave. So, the traditional model of behave, believe, belong, has been turned on its head. Belong, believe, behave. So that's kind of the framework that I want to talk about some of these things in. Um, so first, what is the role of prayer in the life of your family? There's a cool Latin phrase, lex orendi, lex credendi. The law of what is to be prayed is the law of what is to be believed, which means essentially you end up believing what you pray. So if you have some core values as a family, so think about your family tradition and what makes you, you. In your family of origin, what are the core values? And make those things your prayer. We've all heard of the attitude of gratitude, and I think it's pretty universal that we'd want that to be foundational to building a culture of love in our family. So, a practical application of what we believe is what we pray would be open to family prayer, opening family prayer with gratitude. With gratitude. I was always impressed with some good friends of mine. During my single days, they would have me over to dinner an awful lot. And from the time that their kids could talk, when they would pray around the dinner table, the first thing they would do is go around to each member of the family and they would say what it is that they were thankful for that day. Um, so there's something really great about that because it honors each family member where they are and allows a full contribution from them. So it really fosters the sense of belonging, right? as a way, too, of giving you insight into your family and giving you joy and keeping you young. Little Charlotte would often give thanks for snack. <laughs> it was probably one of the ten words in her vocabulary. But what is that? That melts your heart when you're around that table. She's been able to contribute fully to the life of the family. She knows that's her spot. 
and she belongs. And it keeps you young, and it keeps things in perspective. So she had a snack phase, much like Picasso had a blue phase. And then she moved on to moon for a while. Oh, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit is wondering on God's presence. That's what her prayer was. She would just say, moon, all drawn out like that. So to begin with the attitude of gratitude, yeah, it makes me smile. In our family, we developed our own prayer. When they could first talk, it started out with three words. Just making sure it's really three words. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That was our very first family prayer from the moment the twins could talk. And that, for a long time, was the only family prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Now, it's grown. It's thank you, Jesus. What is it? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Bless our family. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with your love. That's what we pray. Um, so, a lot of this and other things that I'll talk about really revolve around the commitment to eat together. That would be my next suggestion for fostering a culture of love in your family. I know we're busy, but you find the time to do the things that you really want to do. That's, that's, that's what I believe. Every person finds the time to do the things that they really want to do. So make the commitment to eat together as a family. Um, remember, too, that prayer is not expressed exclusively with words. Prayer includes things like environment and ritual action as well. As much as I like to make fun of them, adult coloring books exist. <laughs> Anybody got one? <laughs> yeah. They exist, and they exist for a reason. It's a ritual. So I'd like to encourage us to develop family rituals. I'd like to encourage us to consider sacraments as a part of real life. And what I mean by that is trying to live a sacramental life outside of the actual celebration of the sacraments. So we have seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. You get baptized once. But there's no reason that we can't live out our baptism in the context of the family every single day. Or at least once a year. So what we do at home is we've got their baptismal candles. We throw them in a box and shove them in a drawer for 364. Right? But on the anniversary of their baptism, which I cannot remember, so it's a good thing their certificates are on the wall, <laughs> we get them out, we have them hold them, we relight the candle, we talk about their baptism. Here at St. Patrick, we're especially blessed that we have baptism at Mass so that we can relive those things. So what do the waters of baptism mean for you on a daily basis in the context of your family? Here's one that might make a little bit more sense. Reconciliation. Asking of forgiveness. This can be a ritual for us if we get into the practice. I lost my temper yesterday with Eleanor, one of, my, one of my twins. And when I had cooled down, one of the things that I did 
was I um, went to her and I said, I'm sorry that I got frustrated. I'm sorry that I raised my voice to you and I shouldn't have done that, but I was frustrated. And she um, responded uh, to that with, um, what are we having for snack? So I knew she was okay. But the practice of forgiveness, the mention of uh, eating that, that family meal together, do you see that as communion? So what are the seven sacraments and how can you live them out in the context of your daily life? So how do you pray as a family? I'm now ready to steal all your ideas. Who's got a good prayer that they do as a family or a prayer practice or sacramental living? Yeah, totally. Credit goes to my husband, but every day when we get in the car, the kids have a prayer they say every single day, and it's routine, and they know it, and it's, um, they say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, thank you, thank you, Lord, for everything you give us. God bless Mama, Baba, Jordan, Samantha, and Matthew. Thank you. I'm forgetting the prayer we say it every I day. I totally did it, too. <laughs> thank yeah. you for everything you give us. Um, we love you. Um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So they say it every day on the way to school, work, wherever we're going, we say it once we get in the car on the way anywhere. Thank you. That's a great example because sometimes, maybe the only time you're around your family for the day is when you've got them in the prison cell of the car. <laughs> They're strapped in. It's hard for them to get out, <laughs> right? So why don't you take advantage of that time that, that you are together, right? That can be intentional together time if you make it that way. Right? Um, and that just jogged my memory, too. Something else that my girls have now gotten the habit of is every time they hear a siren. Every time they hear a siren, they pray for the helpers and they pray for those who need the help. Right? So when you start to just adopt something, let me tell you, the gulf between doing nothing and something is a lot bigger than the gulf between doing something and doing something great. Just do something. And what you'll find is the littles in your family, whether they're kids or grandkids or whatever, they take the next steps into making it something great. So if you can just bridge that initial big gap of, well, we don't really pray as a family. Well, guess what? My family growing up, we didn't pray either, unless it was under threat. My dad one time, he's like, you could tell he was working on something like, I know we should be praying as a family, and I know the way to accomplish this is to make you kneel down in front of your bed, and we are saying the Our Father, but oh, well, that, that was just great. Oh, that really strengthened my relationship with God that day. Please, God, save me from my dad. <laughs> right? So bridge that initial gap between doing nothing and doing something, because it's a lot bigger gap than doing something and doing something great. Okay? Other good prayer practices of the family Yeah, totally. Um, we just do the basic um, grace before meals, and it might just be the dinner that we get to, but the grace before meals prayer, bless our Lord. Awesome. And these I gifts which you're about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord, amen. Yeah, so the, the great thing is, too, that you do not have to reinvent the wheel. We have a rich Catholic tradition of, of, uh, of prayer, and I used to, and, and just to show how powerful it is, 
I used to go to visit the sick and homebound, and there was one lady that I particularly visited every week who was in a lot of pain, and she was very old, and she was mostly beyond speaking. Like when I would come talk to her, she, she would just mostly groan and say she hurt and that type of thing, and that's all she was really able to respond until I started praying the Our Father, and then she joined. Right? So that's a gift that we can give to our children that'll last their whole life. Other stuff, the prayer, yeah. Could you pass it back, please? Okay. What an awesome image of God's love. I like blessing them and kissing them whether they want it or not, whether they're trying to shield themselves from it or not, because isn't that God with us, right? That, and and that, these things soak in to them. Good. Yes. All right, be loud. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so honoring the small ones by allowing them to lead the prayer. And what was shared was, you know, when two families come together, one's a praying family and one's a not praying family before prayer. It doesn't take long for that to, to set in. And there are sometimes when I am hangry, right, you get the hangers, right? you get so hungry that you're angry, and it slips my mind, and, and my littles shame me because with their little tiny voices, well, I've got a mouthful of something I'll hear, in the name of the Father. Ah, you got me, kid. All right, so that's prayer. Good. Um, hospitality. Make your home a gathering place. My mom was the Ironwood High School Drama Club mom. She was. She had many, many, many children. And those kids, now in their 30s and 40s, I'll still call her mom. So when I talk about creating a culture of love in the family, I found that welcoming others really strengthens the bonds of love within my own family. So when someone gets married, the welcoming of new people to the family is second nature. And that is so important. I find that 
because I come from a family where everybody was over at our house getting fed all of the time, it's so much easier to embrace my brother-in-law, who I love, right? But he, but he was new to the family. My family had been trained in the art of welcoming new people. Why? Because we've been doing it forever. Okay? So be a place of open hospitality. Um, so what are some practical ways to facilitate hospitality in our families? Uh, my mother-in-law in Indiana hosts Sunday lunch for her kids and family. So every Sunday, they know it's a standing invitation that they can just come over, get something to eat, the kids run around, and everybody catches up. Holidays are a natural time, but that thought might stress you out, right? It stresses me out a little bit. So pick a holiday with less stress attached to it. <clears throat> for example, at our house, we started hosting a 4th of July Cannon Family Pie Championship. And so we've got a championship trophy and everything, which I've yet to win. <laughs> Not that it bothers me. Uh, it's got the mathematical symbol for pie on it, which I find fun. <clears throat> it's great because the 4th of July doesn't carry the weight of expectation like Christmas does. Um, you can also make up your own holiday. We've got a gigantic grapefruit tree in our backyard, which is the one and only food on the planet that I cannot eat. Oh, sweet irony. <laughs> so we had the, uh, the Cannon Family Grapefruit Festival, which was great because basically I got other people to come over and pick my tree. So what are some of the, the, the great measures of hospitality that you've had as a family or that you've experienced in somebody else's home? What does good hospitality look like in the context of your family? I really don't need that. It helps for everybody else to hear, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have a thing where we do, it's called Friendsgiving, to take off the stress from Thanksgiving. Um, I've been living here for a long time, and there's a group of guys that I've been friends with since most Holy Trinity, and we've been buddies for 30 years, and we all have our own respective families. We live throughout from Tucson Globe, Phoenix, and uh, each one of us have a wife and three to four children each, so it gets big. And we used to, as kids, we, or high schoolers or teenagers, we would go over to all the families' houses. So what we decided is somewhere within that month of Thanksgiving, we decided let's get together, let's let our kids get together because that's where we found our foundation. And whatever it is, um, we don't have to do a turkey, for example. Um, we did you know, Mexican food or Polish food or Whatever it may be, Italian food, it didn't matter. It was just us getting together and doing old school things, bringing up old school stories, playing old school board games or whatever it was. And I think that was one of our best. And we rotate, so we're up this year, but you know we go through every one. And the best part is that if one doesn't want to participate or they forget, then we guilt them into coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good old fashioned guilt. It works wonders. <laughs> Other good traditions of hospitality. 
Well, this actually has become a tradition because it happens multiple times. So my preteen and teen are horrible planning play dates, and every day or every, at 2.20, they come out with this last minute plan where they bring kids over. And of course, we want to plan our play dates. It's not convenient, but we still welcome them, all the kids to come over, uh, eat at home, and our friends do the same thing with my kids, so I know that they feel like another family when they come and they're always welcome. And it's not always easy because you have to kind of rearrange your plans last minute and feed a lot of people, but I know that they love it, so. Good, thank you. Other good examples of hospitality in the context of the family? This was a tradition that my mother thought of. Um, I'm one of seven children, and around the holidays, they, my parents used to love to have a, a fam or not only a family, but family and friend gathering. But it became a chore for my mother because she had to think about all the food and all the, uh, all the thing that goes on with the, having an open house Christmas party or Thanksgiving party. So uh, part of the... Uh, our family was, I had two other brothers, so it was three of us and my father, and then uh, some, uh, we got married, so we had, I had brothers-in-laws. So she thought of, let's have a soup party where the, just the guys would make the soups and put them in a big tureen, and, and it would be a, a way to, and then we'd have a contest, and we'd have a soup trophy and, and wear hats. And yeah, the coveted soup trophy. Huh? There, was, there was rumors my brother would Cold buy the soup the from the local grocery store <laughs> instead of making it himself. And uh, 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 I, I typically won, so it was always a good memory for me. But uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't do that now, but it, it was, you know, I want to share it here. And I'm thinking about, well, maybe we should, you know, I, I don't have my brothers or family here with, with us, but I could do it with, um, you know, men's prayer group guys or something like that and, and use it as a way to, to make your house more hospitable and, and bring, bring people together as well. Awesome. Great. And, and you know, it's not, it's always about the relationship. You know, you remember the relationships more than you remember the decorations or how well it was vacuumed, right? So take the pressure off. And, and that's why I say Christmas is great, but there's a million things going on at Christmas and sometimes that stresses people out. So pick an obscure Jewish holiday and celebrate the heck out of that, right? Who's going to stop you? I also want to talk about formation. Um, so the home is the domestic church, and anything that we do here at St. Patrick or any other parish is simply to support you. Um, my family subscribes to something called Catholic Family Crate. It is awesome because a box shows up at our door with all sorts of cool seasonal stuff for us to do as a family. And I liked it so much that I'm stealing the idea. So we're going to have our own St. Patrick family boxes that are going to be starting out. They're going to be called launch pad boxes, like a launch box. Huh? Get it? Get it? Right? So, so seasonally, we'll be able to do those things. Um, so cool crafts and, and family uh, prayers and, uh, and things to do together. Also, the development of family rituals. So uh, particularly centered on the seasons and holidays. We're Irish and Belgian in our family, but we celebrate Dia de los Muertos because we live in the Southwest. So we put, it up, we put up an ofrenda and we um, put the pictures of our, our family members who have passed on on this altar. And so my girls 
talk about my grandma Fifi, and she died 14 years before they were born, right? Um, talk about fostering a culture of love in our families. I swear, get the tissues out, but watch Coco together as a family if you want to talk about, um, you know, ritual and the importance of those family bonds. Um, watching TV together is fine. Lord knows we do it. But be a book family. Being a book family empowers people with words and enlarged vocabulary, particularly with littles. It also establishes within them their inner voice. So the gift of words and inner voice are both major contributors to emotional intelligence. Right? So that emotional intelligence is going to assist you in building a culture of love. Um, service as well. Sometimes it's hard to serve together as a family, especially when you've got kids of different ages. But I know things like Feed My Starving Children takes kids to come uh, serve. Also, um, since we've got a wide net of family friends and they all have little kids, sometimes life happens to those families. And what we've taken to, because our kids can um, participate in this, is things like meal trains. So when somebody has a baby or when somebody's uh, ill and they have a hospital stay, our group of friends puts together a meal train, right? Where we all sign up for different days and then we prepare food and bring it over to those families. And that's something that everybody can do together. Uh, particularly if you have great family recipes. If you've got the great family recipes, cook together. Right? Cook together, particularly if you've got your ofrenda up and, and the pictures of your family members for whom those recipes were very meaningful. Could you imagine if a friend of yours, they welcomed a new baby, and then you made your grandma's special recipe for something together as a family and brought it over to them? That's the gift of service that we can celebrate in our families. Um, anybody with teenagers in here? Any, any of them have service hour requirements? I hate that so much. I hate service hour requirements for teenagers. You know why? Because it sets it up like it's a sentence. Like it's some sort of sentence that's imposed on young people that they just fulfill and then they hit their, their limit, they, they sign their sheet, they turn it in, and say, well, I did my duty, I did my sentence, but when I'm older, I won't have to do this anymore. Our kids should be serving only as much as we are. Right? Our kids should be serving only as much as we are. So in terms of a family, we ought to be doing everything we can to be serving together. And if the ways that we serve aren't ways that they can, they should know that you're doing it. Not, not to toot your own horn or whatever, but just to say that this is not something that kids do to fulfill a requirement. It's something Christians do because we love Jesus Christ. Okay. So make the commitment to service in our families. And I, and I know sometimes we go to, to Catholic schools and, or other schools and they have the service requirements. I don't know, would you do the bold thing and say, I'm going to serve as many hours as you do? Because it's not like our kids aren't busy. They're over busy. Right? And we have jobs and we have things that we do to, yeah, but if, if I'm expecting it of my kid, I better be expecting it of myself first. Right? Can you tell how I feel about service hour requirements? 
Um, and then there's stewardship. So honoring the gifts of each family member. Is there a vehicle for each person's gifts to develop and shine in your family? Part of good stewardship is creating a reality where everyone can meaningfully contribute. They might set the table. It might not be Pinterest-worthy, right, when your kids do that, but can we, can we honor what it is that they contribute? Uh, honoring gifts does not mean overscheduling kids. For us modern parents, I think I've identified the cross that we're going to have to bear for the sake of our families, and that's the fear of missing out. So as modern parents, the cross that we need to bear for the sake of our families is the fear of missing out. That if I don't do all of these different things and bring my kids to them, then I am not doing absolutely everything I can for them in order to get ahead in life. Our four-year-olds we're looking at schools for. That is stressful, right? Because we've got this charter school over here. We've got the neighborhood school over here. We've got another charter school over here. We've got the Catholic school over here. And I have to be really careful about why we're choosing what it is that we're choosing. Right? My kids are four. They go to gymnastics. They go to swim lessons. They go three days a week to preschool. And they come here for young disciples every single week. It's hard. It's hard. Um, and I think the major act of stewardship that's needed is to build a, to build a culture of love in any family is listening. Um, I was just told I have two minutes, so I'm like cutting out a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, so some slick St. Pat's people might have picked up on this. But the, the major categories that I've gone through in creating a culture of love in our family are actually the five pillars that we build our um, community here on St. Patrick, right? So there's liturgy. How is it that we pray as a family? There's formation, and right? we're all growing together. There's service or social justice, that we have a, a mindset of being other-centered. There's stewardship, that we grow our gifts and help our gifts, uh, help one another grow in our sense of who we are. And there is hospitality, being a place of welcome and of love and of um, <clears throat> being a home, being a home for others. So let's uh, end our time. One, because I'm out of time, and two, because I'm out of voice. <laughs> so thank you for, uh, for listening, and let's uh, end together in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, help us create a culture of love in our families. We thank you for the many gifts that you have given to us, knowing that you don't intend them solely for ourselves, but that way that we can share them with others. We humbly ask that you uh, make us bearers of your light to the dark places in the world that others can know that there is hope in you. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian Disciples in Mission, 